Take your Bible and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, we'll look at a passage of Scripture here. And I want to say thank you for having us be part of your church family today. And we've really enjoyed getting to know some of you. And the food has been delicious. Um, and I'm, I, being in the States, I feel like I'm getting larger. And uh, so... Uh, in India, we eat a lot of rice, and so this has just been a real treat to our family. So thank you again for having us, and we're just excited about uh, the church and the opportunity you have, you guys have here. And I would just ask if you would uh, consider praying for our family. Uh, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for prayer partners. Uh, when you are in a country like India, it is very dark, not, with, not talking about the sunlight, but dark spiritually. And there's often times where we feel alone and isolated there in India. And it's the prayers of the churches back home that really see us through. And we're just really thankful for the churches that have been praying for us. And we want this church to be a church that prays for the Overton family. And when you do, there's fruit to your account. And uh, that, that's where it's special, that some are able to go overseas and some are not. Some are to stay behind and minister here and serve here in this local, local church and local uh, place here in Kentucky. Um, but some can go and that's, that the Lord has allowed us to go. I don't know why there's more people out there that could go and could be, they're probably much more qualified than we are to be on the field and teach Bible translation but we were available, and then when we answered the call, when God said, would you like to go? Would you go? We're, here we are, sign us up. And so um, we just are asking that you would pray for us. All right, there's one thing that has happened in my life that I can't get over, and that is the day that I received grace from Almighty God. I was 12 years old, and I was at a camp, and it was called Indian Cave Campground in Virginia. It was a little past Wakefield, Virginia, and my pastor preached on the three crosses, and he talked about how that I was a sinner, how that Christ died for my sin, he was buried, he rose again the third day, and he did so for me because he loved me. And boy, that's what really got a hold of my heart, is that God loved me. I mean, who was I? But yet God loved me and he did all of this for me. And so I said, I'll accept Jesus as my Savior. So the best I knew how, by faith, I believed what the Bible said and the Lord saved my heart. I received grace. My father-in-law often said that grace is God's intervention in your life. And this past week, I was... Uh, going over 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and in church on last Sunday, they sang a song called Complete in Thee. And it talked about how that we have been justified, we've been sanctified, and we're going to be glorified one day. And, and it's all because of grace that we've received. And then I, as I was reading 1 Corinthians 15, it, it just all came together in my heart and my mind, and I just said, wow, that is a thought that I need to preach. And so I want to preach a message entitled, Grace Received. The gospel believed produces benefits. Do you believe that? 
Do you believe today that the grace, God's intervention in your life brings about great benefits? And we want to look at some of those today. So 1 Corinthians is written, Paul writes to this church, and they're going through a lot of struggles. There's a lot of things that they were trying to do, and they were failing at it. They were making mistakes in their church plant. They were having a lot of problems. And Paul writes to them, correcting them in many of these areas. But when he gets to chapter 15, he kind of pauses and he begins to lay out doctrine. And he begins to teach them some things about the gospel that I think will be an encouragement to us and a blessing to us. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas, and then of the twelve, after that, he was seen above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. At last, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that I not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God. I am what I am by and his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believe. Look at verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, a twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on or immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass, saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The first thing that Paul describes here in this passage um, is... This idea of the gospel. He, he encourages the people of Corinth to believe and take hold of the gospel. And he talks about two things. He talks about the gospel and its definition. The gospel defined in verse 3 through 5. He talks about this gospel. He says that the gospel that he delivered unto them that he first received. Look at verse number 3. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. So he, he points to a person 
the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and the work that he did. See, salvation is not based on our works and our deeds, what we do. It's always going to be based on the Lord Jesus Christ and the work and the deed that he did on Calvary. You see, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, that um, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So salvation cannot be attained without the blood being shed. Is it our blood that needs to be shed? No. Praise God. It's not our blood. It's Christ's blood that has already been accomplished on Calvary. So Christ died in our place. You see, the Old Testament, it was filled with sacrifice after sacrifice of animals that uh, were taken to the altar. And it was as if uh, there was a covering of our sins. But praise God, when Jesus Christ, the second Adam, died on the cross of Calvary, it is finished. The sacrifice that the atonement for all mankind's sin was taken upon him. And we can believe that's what's necessary for salvation is trust, belief, dependence upon what Christ has already done. So the gospel defined, we find that there are some fundamentals of this gospel. It is the person of Christ that he died for our sins. But notice the second thing about a fundamental that's here in the gospel. He died on the cross, in, or he died for our sins in verse 3. Look at verse 4. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. The second unique part about the Gospel is that Christ, he was buried. He, it's as if the, the idea is that he was baptized. You know, he was laid under, and he was put in that grave, and that he rose again. We, 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 he pastor just talked about the, the resurrection Sunday that's coming Easter. What a glorious thing to know that Christ is alive. And he when he ascended to heaven, he is now in heaven making intercession for you and for me. His work is not yet finished. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. And that's that's exciting to know that the God of heaven who gets his prayers answered thinks of you and lifts you before the throne of God. He prays for us. So the gospel is that Christ died for us, that he was buried, he rose again for us. But here's one that we don't often look at as part of the gospel, but it's very, very vital for our faith. And that is that Christ was seen after his resurrection. Notice what he says here in verse five. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. Verse 6, he was seen above 500 brethren at once. Verse 7, he was seen of James and all of the apostles. And last, verse 8, he was seen of the apostle Paul. So why is it important that this is part of the gospel? That he was seen. We call it a witness. A witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's important because it's testimony. Because you weren't there, were you? I wasn't there. And it's been 2,000 plus years since the time of Jesus' crucifixion. And sometimes we, we may start to wonder, well, is it true or not? But when you have testimony, when you have eyewitness accounts, 
it makes a difference. You can say, hey, that was an actual event in history that took place, and there were people who saw it, and that means something to me. It meant something to these men. Matter of fact, if we were to go back to Acts chapter 13, when Paul was preaching on, on these different places in Macedonia and Philippi and other places, he will often go back to the fact that there is proof to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was seen. That's good stuff. There's a second witness, though, and I love it in the text because we often miss over it. But part of the gospel is the little phrase, according to the scripture. It's according to the scripture. See, we're not saved based on what a pastor says. We're not saved based on what a government says. We're saved based on what God said. And that makes all the difference according to the scripture, according to the word of God. So that when you go all the way back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, what did they believe? They believed the word of God. And it was accounted unto them for righteousness because they had faith in what God was saying about a future event that was going to take place. We could go back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 where we see the first mention of the gospel that at the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. Wow. It is the word of God that's going to make the difference in people's lives. It is according to the scriptures. That's why we want to get the word of God out to those people that don't have it. You see, I, I don't want them to know about my opinion. I want them to know about what God said. And when we go home on furlough, guess what would remain there in the field? It would be the word of God. And their hearts and their lives can be encouraged and strengthened. Even if I'm not there. Why? Because they have the word of God that will guide them. So the fundamentals of the gospel. Paul goes through that. But he goes... Also, when he talks about some principles of the gospel in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, how shall they hear unless one is sent? If we look at 1 Corinthians 15, 11, here and later on in this passage, look down with me. It says, therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach and so ye believe. So one of the principles of the gospel is that it needs to be preached. How can they believe if no one speaks up and says they have a need and they need Christ? They're not going to be saved. The gospel needs to be preached. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, you could turn there with me. I'll read it quickly. But it says this. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But on us which are, are saved, it is the power of God. In verse 21, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. In verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. Paul understood that if the gospel is going to be received, if grace is going to be received, there must be preaching. 
There must be uh, the teaching and the heralding of God's word into the lives of believers. I think Bill Rice said this preaching is teaching from a point of authority with the intent to persuade. Um, and, and that's what we need today. We need the preaching of, of the gospel. A principle of the gospel is not only that it needs to be preached, but it needs to be received. In John chapter 1, verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You see, the gospel needs to be preached, but people need to receive that gospel. They need to trust it. They need to stand upon it. It needs to be uh, counted firm in their heart and their life. And that leads us to the, the, the last principle that we see in the text. Notice again in verse number one, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the, the gospel, which I preached unto you. There it is. He preached it, which also you received. There's the receiving of it. And notice he says, wherein ye stand, wherein ye stand. I often think back at Jesus's comment to his disciples. When you build a house on the sand and the winds come and the waves come up, the house on the sand goes splat. You guys remember that song, don't you? And then if you build your house upon the rock and the winds, winds come and the waves come and beat against that house, it's going to stand firm. And the idea is, is that we can build our life on the word of God, the scriptures, and we will stand firm. It is not sinking sand. I think of all of those Hindus that worship 35 million gods. And they're worshiping a God in hopes that they're going to be successful in this life and maybe be reincarnated into a, another life or even reach to a state of perfection. I want to tell you that they are basing their life on sinking sand. But Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be ye transformed and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may. Here it is. Prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The question that we have today is, are you taking God at his word and proving him that his word is true, that his will is true, that his way is true and perfect? See, when you build your heart and life on the principles of the word of God, you're going to build your life on solid ground and it will be effective. It will change you. You want a good marriage? Follow God's plan. And I'm telling you, at the end of the day, when you follow God's plan, you're going to have a strong marriage. You want to have good kids? Build your marriage and your home on the principles of God's word. Stand on it because it's firm. And at the end of the day, your, your kids are going to be better off than living your life on sinking sand. The word of God is powerful. So the gospel is firm. It's trustworthy. Well, he goes on. I won't spend a lot of time here, but I just want to mention that in chapter 15, he goes on and talks about the gospel being defended. And he talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, 5 through 9, he talks about the eyewitness accounts of the resurrection. 
But then in chapter uh, 15, verses 12 to 50, he talks about an argument for the risen Savior. And we won't spend a lot of time on it because I really want to get to the benefits. The benefits of the gospel. All right, let me just share a couple benefits with you. The first one is dealing with personal benefits. The first one I want to look at is verse number two. It says this. By which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. He says, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I, I also received. So the first thing that we find here in the passage is this idea of being saved, this, this idea of being rescued. You remember that song, Ship Ahoy? And uh, my kids and I, we would sing Chips Ahoy. Now, I don't know, maybe you've done that before as well. Uh, but Ship Ahoy, you know, you, you, in order for something to be found, it needs to be lost. And when we realized that we were lost and we were headed to a place called hell and we needed rescue from that. So the first benefit that we have is that the spirit of God is quickened. It is made alive and we are rescued. Oh, that is exciting stuff to know that now I'm escaping hell and my home is heaven and heaven isn't just a place, it's a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so my spirit is rescued. We could talk about Ephesians chapter 2, where he talks about being quickened. For by grace are ye saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. John 3, 16 through 18 talks about the gospel for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And he talks about in verse 18 that if we were to trust Christ, we're not going to be condemned. But those who have rejected and will not receive Jesus Christ, they are condemned already. We need to be rescued. Our destiny was hell and ultimately the lake of fire, but we've been rescued. What a benefit that we have when grace is received. The second benefit that we have personally is found in verse 9. I think this is great. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Here was his past, but now look at the renewing of his mind in verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace was not or, or was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which is with me. Here we see uh, the, the first part, being rescued, talks about justification. Here we see sanctification taking place in the life of Paul. He says, I am what I am by the grace of God. Have you ever felt that way? Uh, one person told me one time, he said, look, there go I lest it was for the grace of God. I would be in that situation if it were not for the grace of God, the God's intervention in my life. I, I think uh, of 1 Corinthians, where it talks about how, but such were some of you. Have you ever heard that passage? In, look with me at verse, chapter 6, verse 11. Chapter 6, verse 11. If anything, this verse gives hope. 
You ever found yourself where you were struggling and striving to do that which is right and you find yourself failing and you want to please God, but you, you, you simply find yourself not fulfilling what you think you ought to do for Christ? And, and sometimes as a counselor, as a preacher, I would often go to this verse, uh, verse number 11. He's, he, he goes through a list of things in verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves, uh, thieves, covenants, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. These shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And verse 11 says, and such were some of you. Now, the exciting part is, is that that's what they were. But now that they had received the grace of God. God did a work in their heart, in their life, that now they're changed. There's a renewing of their mind, and now they aren't some of those people. You see what I'm saying here? There's hope. I don't have to continue in my sin. I can trust Christ for salvation. And then here it is, Colossians 2, chapter 6. I can trust Christ for salvation. I can trust Christ for daily living. He said in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, he says, well, look, turn there. I'd, I'd rather read it to you than just quote it and misquote it. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. It says this, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. Pause for a second. How did you receive him? By taking him at his word, right? We call that faith. As ye have received Christ Jesus the Lord by faith, what? Notice the next thing. So walk ye in Him. So here was Paul talking to this church of Corinth, and he reminds them of the Gospel and that they've been rescued. He reminds them of the Gospel and how that now because of the Gospel, our relationship with God has changed. Our minds can be renewed and we can experience the grace of God in our daily living. We don't have to be slave, slaves to sin anymore. But then I love the third thing. The gospel changes everything. It changes my destination. It changes my walk now and it changes my future. Notice in verse 51 and, and following in 1 Corinthians 15. Behold... I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. What, what, verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. I believe this is talking about the rapture. But the point that he's making is, is that we are of corruptible seed now, but we are going to be made incorruptible. The first part talks about our spirit. The second part talks about our minds being renewed. Praise God, our bodies are finally going to be renewed as well. We're going to be resurrected, and Jesus Christ was the first fruit of that. And the point is, is that this world is not our home, church. We're just the passing through. Peter, he talked about how that we are strangers and pilgrims in this land. What are you attached to? Are you laying up treasures here on earth or are you sending them ahead in advance 
and laying your treasures up in heaven. Because this world is not our home. Eternity is just a breath away. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Where there's no more sorrow, there's no more pain. We will have resurrected body. Grace received brings great personal benefits, doesn't it? I've experienced it. And the psalmist said, taste and see that the Lord is good. And you have. You're here this morning because you have tasted. You have seen. You have been part of that. Well, that leads us to my final thought. And that's this. In verse 58, it says, therefore, because of the grace received and the personal benefits that you've experienced and are experienced, my beloved brethren, be steadfast unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I stopped and asked myself, what is my labor? What is my work? It's twofold. My work is twofold. Number one, it is to edify the body of believers, right? So you're here today and because of your presence, you've encouraged my heart. You've encouraged my wife's heart. You've encouraged each other. You're edifying the body of Christ. When you just choose to live the Christ-like life and the Spirit-filled life and, and you are walking with the Lord in your daily life, you are building each other up, encouraging one another as iron sharpeneth iron. So we are to labor. That is our labor for the benefit of the believer. But we are also to educate the body of unbelievers. Their culture, their lifestyle is without God. And they need the truth. They need the truth because they need to be rescued. They need the truth because they need to be renewed in their spirit. They need the truth because they need to, to understand that one day they are going to live somewhere forever. And the choice needs to be made on this earth. And that choice is to believe the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace. So today, the question is simple. Have you received the grace of God? Have you been rescued? If not, you can be. The question is, have you received the grace of God and your mind is being renewed? Are you growing as a Christian? You can be. Are you excited about the grace that will carry you through the shadow of death that we all must face? You know, we just uh, put to rest Tori's mother. And there was a special grace that was given to us personally as we went through that. But there was a grace that my mother-in-law received as she went home to be with the Lord. And you know, death is man's greatest interruption, isn't it? No one expects it. It is ordained of the Lord, though. And he gives grace through that. We all must be changed, whether it's at the rapture or on our deathbed. We need the grace of God. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for being here today. I want to have a word of prayer. And then, Brother Stover, please come back up. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for the word of God. 
and the opportunity to communicate and to preach and to be encouraged. And Lord, thank you for this church. Lord, I pray that they would consider praying for our family as we head back to India in June. And Lord, as I have experienced grace, as this church has experienced the intervention of you in their lives, Lord, I pray that together we would be faithful at edifying one another and opening our heart to minister and educate those that need the grace applied in their hearts and lives. In Jesus' name.